Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Today I'm joined by somebody I would describe as almost like seeing yourself or hearing yourself in a mirror, Dan Lappin, um, based in the US, got a business called Lappin 180. Uh, it's about sales, but it's about breaking the sales patterns, sales mentality. And there's correlations, as you'll hear today, into leadership. Um, and it's when I heard his philosophy and what he was talking about, it made a real connection to how we sell and how we build our relationships with our clients. And I think you'll find it refreshing because there are definite links into coaching to influencing uh, in there. Um, but you'll also hear a story of somebody, how they've grown, how they've they've worked into this space and his 15 years corporate and then 15 years of, of doing what he's doing. You'll hear the story today about how without a safety net, he moved into this business and how it puts pressure as a business owner. So the business owners out there, as he was going through it, there's almost that visceral reaction for me around, yeah, I remember that. I remember that that pain and that challenge that we went through uh, when we opened up the business. So Dan Lappin, he'll be a regular guest for me um, to work through on the podcast because there's so much that we can learn as leaders around sales and we can learn from sales around leadership. And so, uh, yeah, enjoy. Dan, lovely to have you on the podcast. Tell our yeah. listeners who you are. What's your background? Well, as you've gotten to know me a little bit, Colin, that's a tough question for me because mm. I don't like to talk about myself. Um, no. But I'm a, I guess you'd call me a hardworking guy. Um, right. Paid a lot of dues, maybe 15 years of corporate America. Right. And then 15 years out on my own, um, family guy, uh, four kids, very important to me. Um, a lot of my whys are based on my kids and the experiences that we've, we've had with them and the continued experiences I want to have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also, ironically, right, even though I'm in the United States here, I was born in Scotland. So we share that in common. Knew there was something I liked about you, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what yeah, was the connection our, in Scotland? What was the connection in Scotland? For the so my dad and my, my dad's side of the family are all from there. Um, mm. And they're from Glasgow. And I think there's a big Irish connection, too. But my dad moved to the States when he was 25 and met my mom when they were in Pittsburgh. Hmm. And that's where just things went from there. And so ended up in Boston. That's where I grew up. Right. Boston. <laughs> the accent's gone, though. Can't hear it. Yeah. So it's... Yeah. If you give me a glass of wine or two and <laughs> every now and then it'll come out. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've learned to speak properly. How's that? Yeah. I've, I, I've proper... Uh, verbiage or diction, um, grammar, whatever you want to call it. So I was always described as a posh Geordie. So Geordie's Newcastle, northeast of England, where I was brought up. But I was always described as a posh Geordie because I didn't sound like I came from Newcastle. But a bit similar thing. Give me a couple of glasses of wine and the Geordie will come out. So you even hear it <laughs> just how I say it. So you'll get in there. That's so, what I like about the dialects, right? Everybody can tell sometimes where somebody is just based on how they talk. Uh, it's 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 a nice curiosity piece and for me you know we're going to talk about sales today but 
that connection point about history is so important or picking up on the unsaid or dialect or something in there. Cause I always had a bit of a weird accent growing up where people would say, are you Irish? And then across here, people would say, are you American? So very mixed up, but actually it's a talking point that gets people connected and in there. So, yeah. So definitely do that. talk to me about the 15, nice symmetry, 15 years in corporate, 15 years out. So we'll come to what the next 15 years look like, but the corporate piece, so that hardworking piece and where you got to, there must be a story and a red thread through that 15 years that led you to the next 15 years. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So grew up, um, I'll say it, poor, um, mm -hmm. maybe low, low middle class. Parents taught me very early, um, if I want something, I better go earn the money to buy it. I mean, I remember 12, my first job was shucking clams. I would get up early in the morning, God, yeah. ride my bike about three miles uh, with a few neighbors, and we would sit in this little dingy cabin, um, and we would shuck clams for a couple hours, maybe four hours or five hours. So uh, I got that memory, and I'll never forget that. Um, mm. But yeah, in, in corporate America for me, I was chasing, um, for me, it was chasing a title. Um, my ego wanted to be um, important and feel important. And so for that whole 15 years of my life coming out of college, it was about how do I, how do, I do really well and how do I rise through the ranks? Hmm. Um, through probably luck and maybe some fortune and maybe some hard work, I did start rising through the ranks. But as I rose through the ranks, um, the little voice inside me started saying, this isn't for me. This mm -hmm. isn't for me. I'm not getting fulfillment from it. And that's not to say corporate America is bad for anybody. No, but for me, I, I, I just, the little voice was saying, you're not a fit. And so what ended up happening was, and it was very fortuitous, which is um, I was working for a Fortune 500 company and they were about ready to merge with another very large company or be acquired. And it was in the IT space, telecommunication space. And long and the short, um, we had to go through a whole series of downsizing exercises. I was a director of sales. I think I had three or four sales managers, maybe 30, 40 salespeople. There was engineers involved. We had to go through this huge process of evaluating hmm. the merits of each person. And it was all run by HR. So, right, a lot of documentation. So I just remember how hard that was because you really had to be objective with people and you had to go through this evaluation process about performance, attitude, hard work, team player, right? It wasn't just about performance. All those factors came into play. So we went through all that. And then I remember my boss at the time came to me shortly after maybe two or three days and goes, hey, Dan, can we have a cup of coffee? And I said, yeah, sure. So we go and have a cup of coffee and and I sit down and the first words out of his mouth were, uh, Dan, it's not going to be a good day for you. I oh, mean, that's no. how he started the conversation with me. Hmm. And actually ended up being the best day. Um, hmm. At the time, it didn't feel good, right? Ego took a huge blow. Um, but looking back, I wasn't wired for hmm. what I was doing, right? And so what it did is it created a door and an opening for me to start to really take a look inward on what was important. Where was my value for myself and where was my value and my ability to con 
contribute to others. Yep. So it, it forced a lot of that that hard knocks view. And uh, long and the short, I started lapping 180 um, shortly after. And you know, my first 20 months were incredibly difficult. <laughs> I mean, no money, no revenue, no clients. I, I kid, but I also say seriously, no clue. Because I thought mm. being a director VP coming out of corporate America with that many years of sales experience and success and managerial and, or leadership experience and all that, it'd be easy for me to connect with other business owners on how to drive sales and how to drive performance. But my story wasn't resonating. And so it took me about 20 months to figure out what my mindset needed to be, how my mindset needed to change, and then really how to be okay betting on myself. Hmm. Um, so I'd probably say there was a, probably a three, four year run where I learned a lot of lessons about myself in life. And at the time they were very difficult, but looking back, um, they were a gift. Hmm. Do you want to share a couple? I know you don't like talking about yourself, but for me, knowing the value I get about our conversations, what a couple of things that really resonate. Because those are tough. I remember starting up and I was starting up with a business partner myself and she decided not to join at the same time because she last minute just went, I'm going to stay where I am. You set the business up and I'll come in a year's time. Those first yeah. early years are tough. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me, it was a lot about my pride and my ego still. I remember being somewhere around probably 12 or 14 months into my endeavor of trying to do my own thing. Um, and neighbors were talking and I could hear the rumblings about what's he doing. He's got two kids and what a foolish decision. And, you know, he's got a house and mortgage and the strain he's putting on his family. And then I even had some neighbors even ask me flat out, what are you doing? Where's your sense of responsibility? You know, how could you do this? You're, you need to be responsible. you got this family. Hmm. And there was a, a moment where I, I remember coming home and um, my wife at the time was really struggling with it. And I don't blame her um, because we probably had two months worth of income left for raising two young children, a mortgage, health insurance, and you name it. And I had no plan B. Right. And so there was a selfish component, I guess, to it because I had no plan B. Hmm. But after that conversation, um, there was just this moment of ground zero for me where I'm like, I got nothing to lose. I mean, I'm at ground zero. Hmm. I got friends, neighbors, family, everybody's looking at me like, what, what, what's going on? And so I just, it was almost like I just let go. Hmm. And as you know, I, we teach this form of compartmentalize and detachment. And I think yeah. that's where detachment and the true sense of compartmentalizing truly kicked in. So my lesson was you have to go through struggle to believe in yourself hmm. and going through struggle is horrible but you have to learn how to embrace it yeah. because if you can't embrace that struggle, you're not going to come out the other side the way you want. That struggle yeah. is going to eat you up. That struggle is going to chew you up and spit you out. Hmm. And 
I think that was a big lesson I learned. And then I, I, I think along with that is bet on ourselves. So like, you know, I was, I was talking to someone earlier this week, Colin, I actually thought about you on this one because mm. of your leadership expertise and all that, but they showed, they shared this story with me about how they grew up and some of the tragedies that they had experienced. And now they're in this position where they're working in this role that's not for the meek and mild. The upside that they have is enormous, but there's no training wheels. There's yeah. no safety net. And so I remember thinking to myself, and I even said to this person, I said, wait a minute, you've been through a lot of adversity, right? And they're like, yeah. I said, okay, so what have you learned from that adversity? And, and at the end it was, what they've learned is or what they should be learning is that they should bet on themselves. Yeah. They did overcome these, these tra tragic experiences and they're still standing. And so I think for me, that would, that was also a big takeaway at the time. And I think it resonates with people in general, right? Because I think sometimes we sometimes think our tragedies or our experiences leave us on an Island by ourselves and no one else in the world thinks or has those same experiences. But yet, if we could just sit back and get to know people, and I think we'd all be shocked at how many people have had these really tough experiences and they're not on an island. No. And I think there's a couple of interesting points for me that, that, that you highlight there. Because one of these is, if there's no safety net, people go, "Ah, oh, you're foolish. Why have a safety net? But for me, sometimes the safety net is the distraction. Because that's the easy place to go. The safety, safety net is, it's almost, you're not hungry enough uh, and not betting enough on yourself. And, you know, there's a, there's a degree, if I share, my business and my commercial business is almost supporting the work that I really want to do, which is the coaching, the writing, and other pieces in there. And it's a, too attractive to try to separate. So if there wasn't a safety net, I'd just go do, you know. We've got a mutual friend. Chris, who just has gone off and just gone do, doing stuff. And it's a real risk, but at least he's doing it. He's doing what he wants to do. So there's something in there. However, there's also that piece that I always remember somebody when I was talking about writing a book, and you're, we were talking about this the other day. They said, take the, the worry about the money off the table. Yeah. So do a bit of work in the background while you're doing it so you don't worry about the food. So you get conflicting messages in there about where the hunger comes from. But I think a bit like you are, I prefer the no safety net. It feels more vulnerable, but it feels more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we as human beings, right? We seek two things more than anything. And it's not love and happiness. Mm -hmm. It's control and safety. Yeah. yeah. And, and right. We do it innately. We, we subconsciously. So, Again, if I, if I look back on that whole experience, mm. um, it, it was a gift. Absolutely. So let's fast forward and go to this. Because when we first met and you started to talk about the work that you do now, I was almost like, wow. And it's almost you were, you were starting to tell me how we sold. And I'd always struggled to describe how we sell. And you were giving me something. You were talking about breaking sales. And I was thinking, okay, so maybe that's why I just don't like the sales word. But actually, the way you explained it, sales is a good thing, but it's just about how you go about it. Tell the listeners where you are now, and then maybe the story about how you got to that, that philosophy. Yeah. I understand what people think about it. 
sales doesn't have to be something where we sacrifice who we are. All right. And selling is helping somebody get to their truth. So, right. I mean, I understand that traditional sales is, hey, what's our value proposition? What questions are we going to prioritize? When we find their pain, we need to make sure we understand it and we have the right resources in place to solve it. Right. I understand that side of sales. And for possibly the one or two companies or individuals out there that have already decided that they need to improve or make a change, that approach can work. So like in our, in our, some of our research, Colin, and I don't know if we've talked about this, you know, we, we've asked thousands of individuals, how many prospects have decided to make a change before you ever show up for that first conversation? Hmm. And the answer we get back 90% of the time is one or two. And so when I talk about traditional sales, yes, you can build that value proposition. You can build your slides, your presentation, find the pain, all that. And you'll, you'll get away with it for the one or two who've already decided, hey, I need to do something different. The challenge is what about the other eight that you mm-hmm. work so hard to get in front of that don't know if they need to make a change, aren't even thinking about change, but objectively, if they did consider it, and they were going to be honest with themselves, they probably need to make a change. And that's where a lot of what we teach helps, right? Mm. It's helping another human being get to their truth, not helping ourselves, right? Mm. Right. Advance what we want or to make the sale. I often will tell people it's about, it's not about being right. It's about getting it right. Right. Yeah. So if I go back to the experience that I had in corporate America and I go back to my life in general, um, I was a very attached dude. Hmm. (laughs) What, What that means is I was attached to every outcome that I had in my head possible. Right. Yeah. You know, I was so attached. I wanted to control every outcome. Hey, I want to become a VP very attached to that. Hey, I want this person to buy this, very attached to that. And what I found through attachment is that when we're attached, all we do is struggle because we're trying to control something we can't control. And when we're attached, which means I hope that person likes me, right? Or I hope that person agrees to a second meeting, or I hope that person wants to see my demo. How do we get them to do that, right? We are attached to the outcome. And when we do get attached to an outcome, we, we just we start listening for things that are only aligned with the outcome that we want. Hmm. And we start only asking questions that are aligned with the outcome that we want. And all of our biases kick in based on the outcome that we want. So in essence, right, here's the funny part. We lose all objectivity. Mm-hmm. And what do you think one of the biggest trust factors are between two human beings? It's objectivity. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or as Meister calls it, self-orientation, I sense is what you're talking about, is whether the agenda is yours or theirs or mutual or whatever else it is. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's it, exactly it. You know, if I if I show up in a cup of coffee with you and I'm asking you questions to find your pain, right? I'm asking you questions to help me validate myself or to show you how smart I am. As I'm asking those questions, could you tell I'm trying to get you somewhere? Mm -hmm. Yep. And the yep. second you can tell I'm trying to get you somewhere, what happens to your answers? They come hooded, cloaked, yeah, unless open, transparent, yeah. yeah. And then what happens to the trust between us? Yeah, I always then go directly to price. So give me the price to tell me whether it's worth me going on with this conversation. Yeah, that's my yeah. Scottish blood in me, though, I think. coming in. <laughs> uh, yeah, but here's, yeah. here's the funny thing, too, though. It's the same in leadership. Mm. As a leader, I was horrible because I, I would get attached to wanting the other person that I was mentoring or managing or coaching mm. or I would get attached to what I felt that they needed to do. I would get attached to their success. I would get attached to how I wanted them to respond. It was never out of ill intent. In fact, it was out of good intent. But my issues were that I was not listening. I was not allowing others to work their own way through the problem. And it just made me a, it just made me a very poor leader. It's, it's fascinating you say that because as you were going through the sales piece, the analogy for me was coaching. So I was coming through this coaching piece, which is I start with open questions. What's on your mind? Let's do a bit of introduction, connection before content. You build the rapport. You build everything else. And out of that, you know, you, you get them to come up with their truth. And I'd love to explore a bit more about what you mean by the truth because that's one of the questions in my head. So there is a coaching analogy. So there is a direct link to leadership, which is, you know, the, this is the philosophy. If, if I build a relationship, then the sales will come. Now, Chris Tuff uh, and I would talk about, you know, being an asshole. Yeah. And when do you ask for the business and save your ask, which uh, I love because sometimes I save the ask for too, too long. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And even my right. clients are going, are you going to ask me for any business at a certain point? So there is a balance to this relationship. Just want to talk about that balance because there's the truth and then there's the closing uh, or closure of what you're trying to do in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, mindset drives everything, right? Universal law, condition, cause, effect. So if I'm hungry, that's my condition. My cause will be that I eat. My effect is I'm full. Condition, cause, effect, right? If my condition is that I'm tired, my cause will be I'm going to sleep. The effect will be I'm rested, right? I could even have a little fun with it and say, if my condition is I'm celebrating and I'm a little tipsy, right? Yep. <laughs> my cause is I'm going to be very jovial. I'm going to be very excited, right? The effect is I'm going to have a great time, right? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having some fun yeah. there, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the same in leadership and it's the same as a sales professional. Hmm. Our mindset drives everything that we say and do, which drives all of our results. Hmm. So 
If I show up into a meeting as a salesperson or as a leader, and I have a mindset of scarcity, which is, I hope this goes well. I hope it don't, I don't screw this up. I'm going to hold back in the meeting. I'm going to be cautious in the meeting. I'm going to hold back on powerful questions. I'm going to hold back on making objective observations, right? Because I don't want to screw it up. If I go into that meeting with low intent, which is how do I get this person to see my side of things as a leader, or how do I get this person to do business with me as a sales professional, I'm only going to say, do, and ask questions that reflect what I want. And the trust will deteriorate. Mm -hmm. I mean, the key factors on trust are, right? Benevolence, right? Empathy, yep. vulnerability, listening, right? Things like that. Competency, those are all key components of, of trust. But if I'm looking out for what I want as a leader or as a sales professional, whether my words say it or not, I'm breaking trust. And then the last one, right, is that attachment we already talked about. So if I go into any conversation with attachment, scarcity, or low intent, I'm going to drive a uh, conversation that's unfortunately self-serving. Hmm. So I have to switch that mindset to what we call high intent, which is my only role and responsibility here as a leader or as a sales professional is to determine how and if this person needs help and are they yep. ready for it. Notice that there's no, if I can help. Mm -mm. Mm. My only role as a leader or my only role as a sales professional is to go in and have this conversation so I can learn, right, how and if this person needs help. I'm not a mm. part of the equation yet. It's got nothing to do with me. I love that. And then the other two switches are abundance, which sounds pretty straightforward, right? Scarcity versus abundance. But abundance is, and I'm, I, I, I blew this so many times in my career. I remember I would go in for these, prom, these, these interviews to get promoted. And I'd be walking in the interview, right? And I'd be thinking, it's do or die. Here yeah. it is. This is my moment in time. This is it. This is where I break through. And that is such a scarce thought process, mm -hmm. right? And I didn't realize that that was putting so much pressure on myself. Abundance is this meeting doesn't define me, Interesting. right? This question doesn't define me. This moment doesn't define me. I'm going to enjoy the moment. I'm going to enjoy the meeting. I cannot control the outcome of it though. I'm going to prep for the meeting. I'm going to be ready for the meeting, but I cannot define or control the outcome though. Hmm. And then the last one is detachment. And as a leader and as a sales professional, that's the hardest of the three, but it's also the most powerful hmm. because you're learning how to compartmentalize your own emotion in the moment, your own biases in the moment, and you're learning to focus on what's in the best interest of the other person. So we can talk, right, strategy all day long, my friend, right? And I know you and I can. We can talk about philosophy, psychology, and we've done that. But at the end of the day, if we don't have the right mindset going into these conversations, we're not going to perform. We're not going to elevate the discussion and 
if I wrap it back to how we first started today, we're going to have a very difficult time getting to the truth. And the truth, because this is, I think this is probably the nub of what where you're getting to and what I love is that the truth and the misinterpretation of truth between two people, whether it's a leader with a direct report or it's a salesperson with a customer, is a, is a, it's a journey because the truth changes. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, one of my key clients, three, four year journey, truth changed all the time because they bought into it but they didn't really understand their truth probably for about one, two, three years in, and then they got it. Um, and there's bumpy road. So help me define in what in your mind the truth is and how you get there and how you define when you've got it. Yeah. That might be a very deep question. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think of an example that could wrap in for both leadership and sales. And I, and I think I have one. So okay. the truth is helping somebody I'll say shed their biases, mm -hmm. helping somebody see with more clarity, okay, how current actions or the current state impacts the future state. Mm -hmm. So I, I'll give you an example. Um, I do this exercise all the time. So for, for your listeners, if they want to do it, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. So, um, Anybody listening right now, leader or sales professional or uh, whatever the role responsibility you have, write down one skill that you want to improve. Just write down one. I'm writing. I'm now I'm going to ask a series of a few more questions to work our way through this. Now I want you to think about how long have you known that that skill is something that you'd you want to improve how long have you been maybe wrestling with the idea off and on that this is a skill that you should probably invest some time and effort in and improve so write that that time frame down next question is deliberately that's the key with deliberateness what have you done to try to improve it again deliberateness not an episodic or right a one-time trial and error experiment. What have you done deliberately to try to improve that skill? And if nothing, that's very fair. But then ask yourself, how come? Because I know there's a population that if they're being honest, they will say, well, I don't know if I've done anything really deliberate to fix it. Hmm. That's absolutely fine. But then you got to ask, okay, so how come? So hmm. for the listeners, write down how come if you haven't done anything to fix it. Now we're going to fast forward for the listeners out there, right? Is let's pretend you spend the effort fixing, improving, developing that skill. What do you want to experience 12 months from now? What do you want to see in your relationships? What do you want to observe in your business or experience in your business that tells you, <clears throat> you got it right? Hmm. Tell me what's different about your business. Write that down. Hmm. You know, Colin, at this point, my gut is, if I ask the listeners, how did they feel? And I'll ask you if you don't want, if you don't mind being the guinea pig, as we went through the that little pig. process, 
How yeah. did you feel moving through it? What were the feelings that you had? So one was it took me back to childhood. Yep. So I felt like I was a child again in front of my grandfather with him, Scottish roots, trying to teach me how to recite Rabbi Burns, Tamashanter. Yep. And failing miserably. Yeah. So that's, that's how I felt. So I felt stupid. Yeah. In that feeling of I'm inadequate. I'm comparing myself to others. Yeah. So that's the first feeling. And then the second feeling is uh, just recently, just today, I was listening to a podcast where there was a soccer CEO in the UK, Brighton Football Club. And in an hour, he was articulating how they run probably one of the best run soccer sports clubs in the world. And logically, clarity wise, and the logic is the key skill I was lacking, that feeling of listening to him and going, I want to listen to that episode again. I want to listen to that episode again, because it was so rich in clarity of thought. So that's that that feeling of going from stupid to clarity of thought and that visioning was for me releasing. It was a woof light bulb. So when we do this exercise and we do it more extensively, I, I did the condensed version today. Mm. Most of us will feel frustration at the beginning because we know there's something we should be improving. We'll feel a little bit of anxiousness too, because we recognize, um, all right, there's no hiding spot here. Truth be told, I've known for two, three or four or five years, that this is something that, 50 years <laughs> <laughs> that I should yep. be improving. Right. So we feel yep. hesitation. Mm. We might even feel some disappointment because it's like, oh, this is so straightforward. Right. But we're feeling something of a shortcoming, mm. right? Fair enough. Right. There's an emotion there. That's the moment that we're outside of our hiding spot. And that's the beauty of that moment. I know it's not the easiest, but it's the beauty of that moment that we're outside the hiding spot now. And then when I ask the future question, right? That's us. And you said it so well, moving toward the promise of clarity. Hmm. When we think about what we gain, if we fix or improve or evolve, whatever that skill is. And that process is an example of the truth. Love it. So when I say, let's help people get to the truth, that's one of the processes that we can help people. Get them out from behind the hiding spot. No judging, though. Right? Yeah. And then help them create a vision once they're out from that hiding spot, which we all have, but help them create that vision toward clarity, which is, okay, here's my future state. This is what I want. Okay. Now I got it. That is brilliant. I just, you know, I was, uh, as you and I talked about recently, I had a torn retina and I was being coached by Jamie Smart, whose book is called Clarity. So this is resonating. Um, and he was listening to me about 10 minutes in, because at first, in the first conversation, I said, oh, I had blurred vision, went on for 10 minutes. And it is just a, a brilliant self. He paused me halfway through the conversation and he just said, I just want to take you back 
you said blurred vision about, and it was about 10 minutes ago. And he said, um, that's a metaphor for where you are in your life. I feel that's my, that's what's coming through. And it was that moment where you just all the, you know, all, all the veils came off my eyes and I went, this is what I need to do. I just, I need to get clarity. I need to clear clutter out of my life and my journey and my business. And that's what you're talking about is the truth is that it's a vulnerable place out from your hiding spot and where clients suddenly go, yeah, I need some of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as leaders and as sales professionals, we can't dictate any of it. The only thing we can do is become a guide or shepherd that process to help people figure what that truth is. And I think that's the part with sales in particular that so many struggle. I agree. Dan, do you want a job in Potential Squared coming in? I've got a place just... (laughs) (laughs) Hey. If it means I get to spend more time with you, um, uh, yeah, I definitely consider I, I, it. Cool. Come on. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Um, I've loved our conversations. I'd like this to be part one of this because we just dipped our toe into your philosophy, your thinking, and, and your work. And you and I just find our conversations mutually always beneficial. Probably the, the listeners are finding exactly the same thing, but I don't really care about them in the moment. I'm actually <laughs> it's very cathartic at the moment just to go through this. So, uh, Dan, I'd love to have you back on. But in the meantime, where can people find you to, to find out about? Yourself? Sure, they can, um, they can go to LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. I release content on LinkedIn uh, a lot, uh, twice a week. Um, so Dan Lappin at LinkedIn. Um, then go to our website, um, Lappin, L-A-P-P-I-N 180.com. Um, there they'll find many articles that I've written. They'll find our podcast, which is Breaking Sales. Um, they can find Breaking Sales on, on any platform um, that provides podcasts, mainly Apple, right? Spotify, but I know there's several others too. And, and the podcast is, once again, Breaking Sales. Amazing. So I it's, all fin- about, it's all about what we talked about is how to move off the tra- traditional sales uh, and, and build relationships and conversations more on trust. Yeah. And I was thinking about it today because I turned up at a, um, a call with a client friend who'd moved roles and she'd gone to another role. And we were chatting. We had an hour of talking about her wedding, which was happening on the Saturday, which is lovely. And it was only the end of the conversation, we were walking out the door and, you know, we hadn't even really got to anything in terms of sales or work because that wasn't what it was about on that day. Um, but at that point, she said, uh, we were talking about Barclays and said, oh, this this person, she talked about boss. She said, oh, my boss was from Barclays, mentioned the name. And I went, oh, my God, this is somebody I'd worked with probably 15 years ago. And it was that bizarre moment ago, oh, you have to say hi. I haven't spoken to her for a long while. So I got out, got in the car, driving out. As I was, I was driving around the um, the perimeter of this company, suddenly walking towards me in a coaching conversation was this this manager who happened to be somebody I hadn't. And it was just one of those serendipitous moments. And it wasn't sales, but it was. It's what we're talking about. It's relationships. It's connections. And it's... Um, it's when you remember those moments. It's like my old boss, go, go and talk to people. You'll get sales calling. Did, yeah. did you reach out to them? I did. Yep. Nice. Um, I was yeah. I was hoping you were going to say yes so that, that yep. you could see that serendipitous moment through. Uh, 
big, big fan of that movie, Serendipity, and Serendipitous. So, yeah, no, it's it's definitely in there. Dan, I always finish with three questions, um, and I'm fascinated because you and I have geeked out in our, our habits, <laughs> and there's a habit formation here. But the first one is slightly different, which is one small moment in your career that shaped your leadership. What would it be? It's going to sound weird. It's... It's people leaving. Yeah, that's not weird. Yeah. Um, I've got a really, really good team and been with me for a while. But like anything, I've I've tried to bring on others. And I think when someone leaves and all that, I I think the easy thing to do is to say, oh, they didn't have what it takes, right? They they weren't a high performer or um, but that's not where my head goes. My head goes, what could I have done different? It's not that I'm taking all the ownership, but I do take my ownership. What could I have done different? What's my learning here? How do I better myself in this scenario moving forward? And that's the hard part, right? Because it's mm. it's the feedback. Yeah. Um, it's interesting and, you say that because I, I would agree. I've got a gratitude journal. And when I've let people go, I force myself to write, even if, if it is contentious. Yeah. But even if it isn't, there's that, I wish they hadn't gone. Yeah. Moment. But actually, by flipping around into gratitudes, there's not anybody who's left that hasn't given me something. They haven't added something to the business, whether it's insight or, and it's just a, it's a human nature just to go, whew versus what did I get? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's so true. I mean, I look at it like I don't want that person to have that, that negative experience, but I know it's there. Yeah. You know, and again, we both know that there's a lot of contributing factors when a teammate doesn't work out. Um, and it's never, ever just one-sided there's everybody has ownership, um, in that, in that experience. Yeah. I was held to lead and manage when I was younger and I met my old boss that had to let me go a long, long while ago more recently. And it was one of those moments where cathartically he was starting to come back into my life and looking for a job and a role. And I thought, my God, how much have I learned through that whole experience and worked it, yeah, processed it. Yeah. Just about a coffee and choke. <laughs> second do thing, <laughs> second thing is, if you had to change one thing or disrupt one thing about leadership nowadays, what would it be? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I'd have to say leadership is more about, in my observations from watching great leaders, because I would not include myself anywhere near that kind of category. Um, it's focusing much more on listening and questions. Hmm. I don't, I think there's a time and a place for advice, mm -hmm. but it's not as often I think as, as leaders think. I think the power of a leader is their ability to listen in a non-judgmental way and then ask questions to see and truly understand that other person's perspective. Love it. That's where I, I think that 
I think that would be a huge leadership skill set to, to develop. And there's a nice link back into your philosophy around non-judgmental, find the truth, getting the right questions. So, yeah, and I, there is something I always ask this question a lot of the times is what's the difference between sales, influencing, coaching, whatever it is that you're talking about. And there's not a huge amount of difference, actually. It's about asking questions, being curious and getting a, a mutual understanding, right. or at least an understanding of where the person is. Yeah. The, the hard part, just like in sales, leaders will get attached. Hmm. And leaders, they're at their best when they can compartmentalize emotion, compartmentalize judging, compartmentalizing biases. Hmm. And that's what I mean when I say detached. Nice. Good summary. Final one then. Out of your multiple habits that we've talked about, if you had one non-negotiable habit for you as a leader or a person running this business that you run, what would it be? It's going to sound funny, but it's the truth. I, I started it 15 years ago. It's my gratitude journal. Hmm. I, I love my morning routines. Um, I do believe that they bring out our best and we need to structure our mornings. Hmm to tap into and set ourselves up to try to give the world our best energy. And each one of us is different, right? Some people might need to walk a dog with a cup of coffee, right? Early in the morning. For me, it's working out. It's doing some meditation, but the gratitude journal is a non-negotiable. When I had not even two pennies to rub together. And as we talked about earlier, I was second guessing myself left and right. I mean, the self-doubt and the scarcity that I was feeling and carrying with me on a daily basis was um, um, ridiculous because of all the pressures I felt. What I started to do is I started to write down anything that day that I was grateful for. And when I, and I still have all my journals. So when I go back to those original journals, Colin, I will literally see thankful that so-and-so responded to my email today. Hmm. They're not interested, but they responded. Hmm. Thankful when I got home that my son and my daughter, they gave me a big smile and a hug and they ran up to me. Thankful when I got home, there was a dinner that was there, right? Hmm. You know, thankful that we were able to, you know, spend money and go and have a brunch or something, hmm. right? or someone bought me a cup of coffee, or someone smiled. Uh, here's a great one, right? I found this one recently. This person, don't know who they are. They held the door for me. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's small things, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Because when I was getting beat up, when I was getting hammered, right, when the, it was relentless, I was taking two by fours and hockey sticks to the head left and right, right? It would have been so easy, and it was until I caught myself of just continually just mulling over what mm. this isn't going right. That's not going right. The, no, it just became really down to trying to make sure that I was very focused, no matter how small, of what I was grateful for that happened that day. And for me, I journal the day after. So I'll, I'll journal tomorrow morning on yeah. today's Gratitude. I do the same. Yeah. And it's it's always it's a reflect. Some people say, Oh, I do journal in the evening, morning. It's up to you when you do it, but it's just yeah. it's 
it's that that moment. I'm more awake in the morning. But actually, one of the things I realized is my big passion is coffee. I love coffee. I love the smell of coffee. Love a really good cup of coffee. I, I'm telling you, we're we're brothers from another mother, Colin. <laughs> we are. But it's this piece that I've started to not enjoy my coffee in the morning. I was trying to work out what it is. Um, and it's because I'm not focused on it. I'm not just I'm multitasking around the coffee rather than tasting the coffee. So I've just got a that simplistic piece, sat in the sunshine with a cup of coffee. <laughs> Yeah, just taking that moment is is a great start of the day. Yeah, it's an awesome start. It's yeah. it is, and then when if you're out for a walk, right, that gratitude maybe that you saw the sun come up or yeah. you start peek through the clouds. I mean, I, I know it sounds funny and weird, and I tell people audiences all the time. I mean, I grew up playing hockey and getting beat up on the ice all the time, right? Mm. Um, sometimes maybe even in a locker room. Yeah, but that gratitude journals for all of us. Yeah. Because it, ta- it it focuses on us on what's right. Yeah. I love that. That's a good link back to that. Well, I'm grateful, sir, that you are here. Uh, and we were able to talk and share your story, the start of your story to, to everybody out there. Dan, huge appreciation for being on uh, the podcast today. And I'm sure everybody got as much as I did out of today's conversation. Thank you, sir. Well, you're a great host and you ask great questions. I mean, it was easy. You did. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. Looking forward to having you back on soon, Dan. Take care. Thanks. Love that episode. Uh, it is just Dan is one of these people who has a depth of thought, thinks differently doesn't like talking about himself, but actually because of that has a humility around how he comes across and what he offers. And and again, it's this three principles he had in there that are sticking in my mind, high intent, abundance, and detachment. And this detachment, I always remember a story when we were on holiday in the south of France and this seller of fake goods on the beach would always come up and head towards you with a big smile. And you thought, here we go, we're going to be sold to. And as he would go, he head up to us. He would always say in French, "Non merci de corps, non merci de corps," which is obviously, no, obviously. Um, and he would walk away. And having done that for a number of days, he almost was he was reading into our intent and our thought process. And then the, on the third or fourth day, we had to get him across with his smile and engage, and he got a sale. So there's a bit about breaking sales in there with the three principles of high intent, abundance, and detachment that I think for business owners, for engaging as leaders, we can learn a lot around. So yeah, you'll hear Dan back in this podcast very soon. Hope you enjoyed it. And I'll look forward to welcoming you back in another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast very shortly.